Phantomaniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Phantom Troublemaker, and I am in a great mood today because Dragon Con things are starting to happen. It's, it's, uh, I've already had some ideas in mind, but now is when the preparation really for real super starts. And today I received an email from a programming track that I have not worked with before. It is one that I have previously applied to. And this year I heard back from them and they're interested. But of course, due to the propensity of things to just fall through or fall apart or fall away or any manner of falling... I'm not going to say uh, anything more about it. I'm just very, very excited that I have an opportunity to once again expand the Needless Things brand. I plan to be back doing things with our pals at the Dragon Con American Sci-Fi Classics track because, of course, Gary and Joe are wonderful and lovely, and I love those guys, and I can't wait to work with them again. And I will be doing stuff with our pal Derek and the horror track. I don't know what yet exactly on either of those, uh, aside from the game show, obviously. Uh, well, I say obviously. There, that's there, There's been some debate. If you want to hear uh, the behind-the-scenes goings-on of what's happening with the Dirty Dirty Con Con Game Game Show show, uh, head on over to supportphantom.com where I do my more than monthly patron cast and give kind of a behind the scenes look at what's going on and, and how I managed to stay motivated doing the things that I do, the planning, whatever else, just behind the scenes stuff. So go to supportphantom.com, check that out. Uh, and then of course, DCW Thursday night. I love Thursday night. I think it was a great idea to move DCW, Dragon Con Wrestling, to Thursday, despite any misgivings I may have had prior to last year's event. It worked out really, really well and made my Dragon Con a whole lot easier and more fun overall. So that was wonderful. I will be back ring announcing for DCW this year, live on DCTV as well, which is very exciting. I'm I'm just in a super duper mood, and part of that is because I've seen Guardians of the Galaxy twice. Last night, I sat down over Skype with Beth and Ryan, our head of research. And I, yeah, I suppose I need to to start making a bigger point of denoting Ryan Schweck and Ryan Cadaver. This was uh, Ryan Schweck on last night's show because he is our head of research. He is critical to any comic book adaptation conversation that we're going to have. And, of course, our pal, the Rad Ranger. And you guys are going to love this episode because it features Rad Ranger's most most radical radical moment moment ever. ever. That's right. On this very episode of the Needless Things podcast, you have the opportunity to hear my personal favorite interaction that I have ever had with our pal Sean the Red Ranger. It's it's so much fun. It's hilarious. It's wonderful. And I love Sean for being such a good foil for my dickery, I guess. 
uh, for lack of a better way to put it. I'm also excited because uh, you guys know uh, I collect toys. It's kind of where this whole thing started on needlessthingssite.com back in the day, which, by the way, you can visit needlessthingssite.com, click on that big old Amazon box on the top right of the page, and go in there, buy whatever you want. Toys, movies, music, backpacks. I just bought a backpack because my work backpack is falling apart. Uh, let me talk about work for a minute before I get to the exciting thing I'm happy about. Let me tell you guys a little something about work. So my job, as many of you know, is 24 hours around the clock. I never get any more specific than that, but we the thing that we do is, is around the clock. So my shifts are overnight during the day. They go back and forth every two weeks. They're 12-hour shifts. I work 5 to 5. And we have moved into a new building in the past uh, several months. And the building is also occupied by normal-ass, everyday office workers who work, you know, 7 to 4, 9 to 5, 8 to 6, whatever it is normal people work. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to say 9 to 5 because nobody really works 9 to 5. And if you do, uh, good for you. I'm not even going to disparage that. Well done, person working 9 to 5. You're the bomb.com. Uh, but anyway, so this building they've moved us into... I, I will say there are good things. There are a lot of improvements over the last place. As a matter of fact, overall, working is a much easier experience than it used to be. However, and things are going to get a little gross here, and I apologize for that, the remainder of the building, uh, where we work, is climate controlled. The rest of the building is not climate controlled in the off hours. So at 6 o'clock at night or somewhere thereabouts, the rest of the building's climate control shuts down. So when we're there at night or on the weekends, where we are is somewhat cooled. That's a whole other issue. But the rest of the building is just hot and getting hotter as the year progresses. Well, our restroom is foul. Uh, It's the same that it's been since the building was built. And I don't know how old the building is. My guess is is about 30 years old. And I say that because the smell in the bathroom smells to me like about 30 years of urine baked into the tile and grout and everything else. Because once that temperature gets up over 80, and boy howdy does it, and quickly, the reek in that bathroom is so strong, it is unbelievable. Uh... It's really, really bad. And and I'm sorry to be getting so graphic, but this has been on my mind a lot because, you know, as as with most of you, I have to go to the bathroom sometimes. And it's become a really unpleasant experience. I could go into further detail, but you know what? Maybe I'll save that for my supportphantom.com listeners. So suffice it to say, I'm a little frustrated by our bathroom situation because there's nothing worse than a hot bathroom. Maybe that's a little hyperbolic. So I'll just say a hot bathroom is pretty bad. Let's move on to the thing I'm actually excited about. So you guys know that I, over the years, have been pretty down on Mattel. They do a lot of cool stuff, but they make a lot of bad decisions. Well, I picked up their new 
Jim Gordon as Batman from uh, Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo's super heavy storyline. Uh, just him in the Batman costume, not the big robot. That's actually the next wave of DC Multiverse figures. The the Build-A-Figure is the big Bat-Bunny robot chappy thing, which I have now decided that I like because I, I liked portions of that story. Uh, it's too long, but I liked portions of it. Uh, well, you know what? It wasn't even too long. It's I could have dealt with Jim Gordon as Robot Batman for a long time. It's just that they only it felt like there was just one narrative. I I, I don't know. That's that's a conversation for me and Mike Gordon to have some other time. And I also bought the Batgirl of Burnside figure, which is the the Cameron Stewart designed. Babstar perfected uh, Barbara Gordon Batgirl because I love that design. I love Batgirl anyway. I've got her tattooed on my freaking arm, but I just really like this Batgirl costume. So I went ahead and bought those because it's been a long time since I've bought any DC figures from Mattel. Uh, I bought, let's see, well, I bought the Wonder Woman uh, from their Dawn of Justice line because I thought she looked pretty good. And for the price, she does look pretty good. But I bought these two just because, one, I like the Jim Gordon Batman costume. I think it's cool. It's sleek. It's, you know, yeah, it's a lot like Batman Beyond, but it's different enough that I need it on my Batman shelf. And the Batgirl I just wanted to get because, to be honest, I wasn't totally satisfied with the DC Icons one. So I got these figures, and I'm very happy with them. And I'm excited that Mattel is doing solid six-inch superhero figures again. Now, they're not all winners. As a matter of fact, I, I would love to have the rest of this wave because the Build-A-Figure is King Shark, and he's huge. But unfortunately, I don't want any of the figures from this wave. So, you know, I'll have to figure that situation out some other time. But the point is, I'm happy that these figures are good. Uh, for the money, Batgirl was certainly worth it. Gordon, I think my excitement kind of... Uh, pumped up my perception of his value a little bit, just that he wasn't a piece of shit, which is kind of what I was expecting. So maybe not really worth 20 bucks, but just for the fact that they nailed it, I guess he is, if that makes any sense. So yeah, I I'm excited. Dragon Con, new toys, lots of good stuff going on. And also, Guardians of the Galaxy. Love talking about that movie. Love talking to Ryan, Beth, and Sean. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation. So, without further ado, let's get down to business. Let's talk about some Trash Panda. I want to start off with the soundtrack because, one, it was the first thing that came out, I mean, after the trailers, obviously, and the first movie was, the, the soundtrack was such an important aspect of everything about the movie, and to this day, uh, I will listen to that soundtrack in its entirety on a pretty regular basis. Uh, it it not only does it tell the story of the movie really well, but it's just a good collection of fun songs. Uh, it's it's great to listen to. I dig it. Do you, do you guys 
did you guys pick up that soundtrack for the first one? Did you care about it? Do you, do you have an attachment to it or was it just kind of like, ah, oh, that's neat music, whatever? I definitely uh, picked up the first one. I'm a big fan of that genre and time frame of music and I purposely avoided seeing the soundtrack for the second one so I would be kind of surprised by the songs they use during the movie. Yeah, I bought it, but I didn't uh I didn't look at it until after we were driving home after the movie. And and granted, yeah, it's a bunch of songs like, "Oh yeah, I know all those songs. They don't mean anything to me without seeing the movie." But yeah, I did I didn't want anything spoiled either. I didn't know, want to know what was in it until I saw the movie. Sean and Beth, what about you guys? Uh I don't buy any albums cuz uh, I do everything on Spotify. I'm one of those people. And uh but I definitely listen to Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't mind the soundtrack as much as some other folks, uh, but I will say it is for a very strange reason because it gives me a little bit of a uh, KRGR Kroger radio nostalgia because it really is a lot of the same songs that we're playing on Kroger radio when I worked there in high school. Are you talking about the first one or the second one? I'm talking about the second one. I'm talking about the okay. second one, yeah. The, we're, the we're first one was yet. an absolute – the first one was, was – um, it's much better than this one. The songs I could listen to and not be ashamed or offer any sort of like qualifiers for listening to that one. This one, like I said, has a lot more qualifiers to it. What about you, Beth? Uh, the first one, we're, we're not quite to the second one yet. Yeah. I, I didn't buy it because, like Sean, I don't pay for music. But I really did enjoy the first soundtrack. It It was songs I could identify with, songs I remembered, songs I enjoyed for whatever various reasons. And I really, I feel like I identified more with the first soundtrack than dot, dot, dot. Right, right. Okay, so having said that, and, and we, we all agree that it was a, it was an impactful, uh, it wasn't anything we hadn't heard before, but just the way that the songs were put together, it was all fun stuff. The second one uh, is very much AM gold. <laughs> like a lot of it. And there, there is some great stuff on here. Uh, you've got, uh, Mr. Blue Sky. Anything with ELO, I'm happy with. Uh, the Sweet, Cheap Trick. Like there, there is some good stuff. But most of what's on here is that AM gold, like slow. Adult contemporary. Yeah. And, you know, uh, some of them work. Uh, the opening track was it Southern Nights? Isn't that the one that opens the movie when they're driving in the car? No, the car is Brandy. Oh, yeah. you're right. <laughs> yeah, because it comes up tons. Right, There's right, right. Which speech oh, about wow. in the context of the movie, Brandy uh, is great. I'm fine that they built the story that they built around that, but you know, and and that's fine. But then when you put Brandy alongside all of the other slow, like, you know, Fleetwood Mac, come on. I don't need that well, ever. But at the same time, too, this tape was made by his mom when she was dying and saying goodbye and, you know, right, all that right. kind of stuff with the sweet letter. So, you know, it kind of goes with the story. But as far as, like, a soundtrack for the movie, it it definitely was not as good. Yeah, and and it makes sense. I, that's within the context of the movie, most of this stuff worked really well uh the i think and i am not comfortable criticizing james gunn he's one of my favorite directors and pretty much everything he does i'm in awe of but i think he used the uh 
the cognitive, not cognitive dissonance, but sort of a dichotomy, like where you're hearing a slow, pleasant tune and then there's big action going on. He used it a little too much in this one. Uh, and, and this is where we get into the plot of the movie a little bit. And for the listeners, of course, they're going to be spoilers. So if you haven't seen the movie yet, one, what's wrong with you? Two, why are you even listening to a podcast? I'm surprised you know what one is. And uh, three, uh, go see the movie, for fuck's sake. Okay. Uh, Wait, there's spoilers? I better get out of here. <laughs> Beth hasn't seen the movie. She only, I, she, Beth thought we were just talking about the soundtracks, which so far she's right. Uh, so you, I, think, I, know. I think he's pushing it a little bit because you've got the scene with Yondu, which is one of the most fantastically violent scenes since an 80s movie. Uh, I mean, just constant murder for like six minutes. It's incredible. Uh, but it playing to... Uh, come a little bit closer which is you know it's a it's a peppy song but it's kind of like we're seeing this this horrific man and and this uh trash panda just murdering hundreds of people uh so so it's kind of like oh it's a fun song but carnage and then later on they were using wham bam shangalang for the big battle with the sovereign and again, it's like, oh, it's a slow little song, but there's crazy action. It, it, it felt like, okay, I, I get what you're doing. That's enough. And I feel like the Wham Bam Shangalang, the whole reason he used that song was for the soup joke. <laughs> yes. So actually, Sean Gunn could go, yeah. soup, soup, which in other circumstances would have totally been worth it, but we're already into some pretty heavy music. Uh, so that, that's my take on it. Overall, we've got some really fun stuff. And of course, the last two tracks, uh, Flashlight is during the credits, which is the greatest credit sequence in the history of film. And then Guardians Inferno, which could really warrant its own podcast. <laughs> I was only like half listening in the beginning and then I started picking up some words and I was like, what the hell is this? It's David Hasselhoff <laughs> singing the plot of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 over a was it Miko? Is that who did the disco versions of the Star Wars songs and stuff? Um, of a disco version of the Guardian score. It's, it's phenomenal. It's wonderful. And I love the fact that the intro has enough that's just instrumental that you can, you know, you do have a good sense of it being that old disco Star Wars, Star Trek, Jaws. I think they did freaking every John Williams song, uh, like that. But, uh, what about, uh, Beth, overall, the the soundtrack for you, like, it created a good feeling for the movie, right? Right. And I, I feel like Brandy was a lot. Like, I heard it way too many times. I hate Fleetwood Mac. Me too. I Me too. I really, really don't like Fleetwood Mac. I'm, I'm in your boat uh, on that one. I, I could have done without some Cat Stevens. I get why they did it. I get this, this whole movie should be subtitled Daddy Issues. So I get why they use the song they used. Well, but, family. I mean, it really family issues. Yeah. Because all of but, them are dealing with pretty heavy shit. Most of the songs they were effective in the context they were used, but that these are never songs that I would. Hey, you know, I think I'm going to go listen to Flashlight again because I've heard it so many thousands and thousands of times in my life. I really didn't need to hear it again on a soundtrack. Although that sequence was amazing and we sat and sang the whole thing. But 
<laughs> Come a little bit closer is not something I'm going to you know, pop on and jam out to. Right. Ever. Without without the context of the murder scene, I'm not right. going to enjoy that song on its own. What about you, Ryan? Yeah, I think I can't see driving around and listening to this one as much as I do the other one. Um, at times, I think the soundtrack was a little more heavy handed than the first one. Yes. Like the first one felt more like, yeah, it's a tape I got from my mom and here's these songs juxtaposed with the movie. Whereas this one, they seem to tie directly into the story more. And so it, it felt a little bit like they, maybe they were trying a little too hard. I, you know, I felt like they fit in, they work in the era of the music that uh, Quill's story, you know, that he's getting his music from. Uh, My Sweet Lord, when they're on Ego, is perfect. Like, it totally works. I feel like everything works, it's just not as exciting on its own, you know, separated from the movie. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I feel about the same. I've actually gone and listened to somebody, I think it's Hollywood Records released a combined, um, awesome mix volumes one and two playlist on Spotify. And I've been listening to that. Um, first album songs are definitely more exciting. There are a few, I, I find myself fast forwarding more through, like I've heard My Sweet Lord enough times that I don't ever need to hear it again and ever yeah. in my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, that song just gets really old really quick. Brandy was fun in the context of the movie outside of it. I've tried to listen to it and I'm like, yeah. Okay, one and done. I'm fine with that. So, and like I said, most of it is just nostalgia. It's a it's a goofy Kroger radio nostalgia trip for me. You know, it's like the garbage that they played in the grocery store when I was working in high school. Um, but outside of the nostalgia trip, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Like I said, good few good songs. I'm I'm always going to go crazy for some cheap trick. Um, I don't hate Fleetwood Mac, but I don't really love it. I feel like it worked for the scene in which it was used, but outside of that, it's kind of a throwaway song. And there you go. And the whole point of this, for the listeners who are wondering why we would discuss the soundtrack first, one, it's the first thing that came out. Two, uh, for me personally, it was – I don't want to call it a negative because as we've said, it works in the context of the movie, but it's not as exciting as that first soundtrack. I'm not going to run out and buy like the limited edition cassette version of it. I don't want to go get it on vinyl. It's just, okay, that collection of songs is what he used. It's not an exciting entity. And I wanted to go ahead and get sort of the negative out of the way so we could go ahead and just talk about the positive, which is most of the rest of the movie. Does that sound good to you guys? I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to give anyone a heart attack, but I just thought I should mention real quick. I actually completely agree with Ryan. Don't anybody fall over dead. It doesn't that happen all the time. Completely agree with Ryan. <laughs> On the soundtrack. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's weird. Huh. Hey, yeah. while we're that's while weird. we're agreeing on stuff, what do you think about Hawkeye? No, not Hawkeye. No, <laughs> uh, I thought I'd try. <laughs> I, I, it was I, a good try. It's uh, it's okay. It's just not as uh, not as good as the Mac Fraction comic. Oh wait, <laughs> uh, I know. Yeah, I'm, I, but but since you said Hawkeye, I had to get that get that out there because I just today decided to drop the Hawkeye comic. So, so anyway, on to the movie itself, and how I'd like to address the movie is to uh, run down the characters and what they sort of experienced and went through over the course of the movie. 
And I'd like to start with my personal. Well, actually, you know what? Uh, do you guys have a pretty good idea? Obviously, the movie was mostly about Quill. But do you have a pretty good idea of who your favorite story came from other than Quill? Like, who, who sort of got you invested the most this time around? Uh, I have a particular scene that kind of hit me more than I expected it would. Is it character-based stuff? Character-based stuff, yeah. That, that is definitely not Peter Quill. What you got? Um, the scene with uh, Mantis and Drax, where he is talking about the memory of taking his daughter for walks. And he's very, you know, he's Drax, so he remains very stoic. He's a warrior. And when Mantis touches him and then we see her just completely break down with sadness and watching those two side by side, you know, a character who just will refuse to show that kind of emotion ever and a character that can't help it. Um, I was like that, that was a really, really solid way in my estimation of, of showing a side of Drax that we will never see otherwise. And uh, particularly in this one where Drax was really mostly humor, uh, a lot yeah. of funny Drax, you know, not even like the ass kicker Drax. It helped us get to see another side without that character having to do anything different. And I really like how they did that. I felt like that was some really good storytelling and just kind of a short little, you know, that almost a, a segment that you could forget about if you're only focused on, you know, the Peter Quill ego story. Well, since you bring him up, let's start with Drax and, and his role in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, I absolutely loved that we from the perspective of the actor i love that we got to see dave batista having more fun because what we loved about drax in the first movie were those little bits of humor and his sort of obliviousness that was played so well and this time and and i know ryan what you've got to say mm-hmm. but i i've i've seen uh, i think all of us have seen it twice now is that right yes Okay. I have, yeah. Uh, I, I love it. I think it's hilarious. It kills me every time. His lines are timed perfectly. Batista delivers everything uh, just, I, I think, so well. And I, I love that he got to do more because being a fan of wrestling, I like to see those guys get to do more. I like to see them uh, show more of themselves than just, oh, I'm going to punch something in the head all right here we go (laughs) so for me drax was one of the things that i most disliked about the movie (laughs) um i think the scene that sean was talking about i really like that scene because you got the stoic drax you know all the warrior stuff but i felt they went so far with him making jokes that that's not what I liked about Drax in the first one. I think Drax was funnier when he, you know, didn't really understand what he was saying and he was so direct and kind of oblivious to how what he was saying was coming off. Whereas this time he was going for more jokes. Now I think Batista did a great job with what he did. Um, and, and there were parts of it that were funny, but even on the second one, I was like, you know, I just don't, for me, the Drax character, that's not who he is. And I don't think I see who he was in the first one where he's purposely trying to make jokes all the time. Well, I think what we're seeing is Drax – well, and all of them have 
they, they've all developed. They've all grown as characters. And I think there are aspects of each character that have changed a little bit. And I think that Drax enjoys his place as that guy. Uh, I, I didn't take it so much as all of a sudden now he's the jokester guy. I took it as now he's comfortable with these people. Uh, they're all getting more comfortable with each other except for Rocket, which is a major part of his story. Uh, and that that's, we're actually seeing more of the real Drax this time than we did last time because he's not putting on his, uh, I, I'm a badass and that's, that's all there is front. Well, I mean, it's not even that. I think he he doesn't can't be like a has to be a badass all the time. I think like my favorite joke in the first Guardians, the whole one, is where he talks about stuff going over his head. Right. Like that's my favorite joke in the whole movie. It makes me laugh every time I watch it. That's the kind of humor I like to see from him, instead of like the going at it, you know, purposely trying to do things. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> No, I I, I I dug it, but I can see where opinions might vary. What what about uh, what about you guys? This could be the end of the world because for the second time in fifteen <laughs> minutes, I completely agree with Shway. <laughs> I think everyone should go hide in their basement. <laughs> um, I I totally agree. I think. I didn't take it as Drax becoming more comfortable. I took it as, what did people like from the first movie? Oh, they liked the Drax jokes and the baby Groot and the music. So let's just amp all that up and take it all to 11 and have more baby Groot. And Drax should just make jokes the entire movie. Well, and, now, see, I don't feel yeah, like... I, well, okay. We'll, we'll talk about Groot in a bit. Con- continue on your cynical rant. <laughs> it's not a cynical rant. It I totally love is. Drax. Shut up. <laughs> It's a little cynical. I, <laughs> you as well. <laughs> I I love Drax, and I don't dislike him in this movie. I just feel like I don't feel like it's the same Drax. And whether or not it's because he's grown or changed or developed, not really many of the other characters same, show that same amount of growth or development where they completely switch personalities Drax is the only one who seems like almost a completely different character, except for that one place on Ego where he actually shows his feelings again. Because he was a feeling character in the first movie. I don't feel like he was closed off. All he did was talk about how all his pain and how angry he was. And maybe he's not as angry, but, dude, don't you still kind of want to kill Thanos, like, a lot? Why are you making jokes all the time? I agree. That's the end of angry rant. That's all. (laughs) And I think one of the explanations I liked for Drax, you know, that's been written about a lot is that his characteristics as far as his socialization almost came off as a form of like autism where he doesn't understand social cues. You know, he does understand context and they did still kind of do that. Like his jokes were still not. Yeah, everything was very awkward. Yeah, it was all still very awkward, which I liked. Um, but I, like I said, I still like, and you know, I don't need him to be angry all the time. And the, I do think, you know, the anger also, they did a good job with that where he still, you know, had his anger, but he hides how sad he is about his family and all that kind of stuff. But I just, it, it was just too much. The laughing was too much. How many times did we have to hear him do that big laugh, which is great. And Batista does a good job of it. 
but it just kept happening. See, to me, I feel like Drax is an on or off person. I feel like in the first movie, he was, and yeah, he talked about his, his sadness and everything, but I feel like he was off with the group. Yeah, he was along for the ride or whatever, but he wasn't really being himself because he hadn't decided that these people were his new family. I feel like in this movie he has decided and now he's on. The switch is on. There's no, uh, you know, with him, there's not, I think I trust you, uh, but we'll see what happens. It's, it's, you're in with me or you're not in with me. And that's, but I he did this. decide that at the end of the first movie with the, this green whore, she is my friend. <laughs> right. Which was another great joke. And, and now, and now we get the second movie, which takes place after the first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have liked to hear more. And I wish you would have brought up Thanos a little more. I know that they probably don't want to you know, beat that horse before Avengers comes out, and it has been a lot of Thanos. But I could also done. You know, they did seem to kind of go by the wayside, wayside that he's still there to go after Thanos. Like he's not done. And so I think it would be cool to have him just every once in a while. Be like, why the hell are we here? Thanos, Thanos, Thanos. Now, what was well, um, because I can't remember completely clearly. What's his beef? Because the what's his face? The boring guy from the first one's the one that killed his family. Right, and so he has the line yeah, at the he, end he of the first one. Thanos. Yeah, he has the line when they're walking towards the ship. I guess Gamora says something like, "Oh, you know, you got him," and he says, "No, you know, Ronan was just a pawn. Thanos is the oh, main right, guy." Right, right, right. And then he stalks off, and she kind of looks at him like, "Oh God, we're going to go through this all again." And then they didn't. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? That's a fair point. However, if you're going to criticize that, you're going to have to criticize a lot of what has happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because the pile of plot threads that have been just left on the ground is growing like every day. Yeah. I mean, that's just the nature of this ongoing story and if James Gunn could have told his own Guardians of the Galaxy story independent of the MCU, then I don't think Thanos would have anything to do with it, and I don't think we'd be discussing that plot point. Well, and we did get a lot of Thanos talk already with Gamora and Nebula, so they may have kind of stayed away from that and just kind of gave them Thanos as part of their plot story together. And so you might not want to have both them and, and Drax talking about Thanos so much. So, and, I mean, I can kind of understand that. And it is their daddy issue. Right. Yeah, that's that's their whole. I think to to give Thanos more space in this movie would be to take away from the story that was told between the sisters, which, so, which is what James Gunn specifically said he had no interest in making in, in Thanos having much of a presence in this movie. Right? Yeah this this is not the Thanos movie. We've got that movie that'll be coming out. So to have him be the thread throughout this whole film in a movie that clearly was looking at each character's growth since the last film, I think everybody picked up in a logical place. So, uh, so I am actually uh, team phantom on this one. I think that Drax is picking up right where he left off in the last movie. Um, you know, he's, he's finally comfortable with these people. He was cracking jokes as Beth, as you pointed out, he, he cracked the joke at the very end of the last film. Um, so it makes sense that now he's he is in with these people. He has accepted them. He thinks that they're okay, and so he's going to let his guard down, for lack of a better way of putting it, because he kind of isn't. Well, I guess yeah, he is always guarded. That's why he doesn't. 
I don't know. I'm running myself in circles with this because I don't know if he is naturally a guarded person in that he doesn't trust people or if it's just his nature to not let his emotions show. So it's hard to say that that's guarded or not guarded. Point being, he's having a lot more fun. He's able to interact with these people as if they're his new family. And it took the entire first movie to get to this point. So now we're here. They've already been doing a whole bunch of stuff. So at this point, he's just saying, no, these people are my family. I'm cool with you, and I'm going to do all these things. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to make jokes at Quill's expense because I think that's hilarious. I'm going to talk shit to Rocket because I can, and uh, everybody's going to be comfortable with that. They're not going to leave me. I'm not going to leave them. So. And I, and I think it really does. You know, That's kind of one of the good things about this and a lot of the MCU is you can kind of bring your own personal level of immersion into it. If you want to sit down, you can criticize the hell out of anything and not be wrong. It's just how much you want to sit back and enjoy it. And I can sit back and enjoy uh, what Batista did in this movie, and I'm, I'm cool with it. But I can see where it could be perceived as too much and a little over the top. But I dug it. I was fine with it. Yeah, and as these stories grow, we're going to run into this problem because uh, particularly with the first Guardians movie, I think it was done sort of – this is the one, this was the movie when it first came out that everyone was like, is this going to be Marvel's first huge failure? Is this going to be the first mistake that, that Marvel makes? Right. Uh, and is going to be not a hit. So I'm sure there were things that were planted there that James Gunn never had any anticipation that, oh shit, this is going to be one of the best films that Marvel has ever released and become a linchpin of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there's, you know, as, as each film gets progressively more successful, we're going to have to just throw plot threads and just throw them out the window because I'm sure there are decisions that are made with the intention of, you know, films only going so far. And then it's like, oh, no, we're going to put this, you know, we're going to put a, a giant spotlight on this that was never there from the beginning. Well, and some of the interviews that James Gunn has been doing are making it sound like the the cosmic stuff that after Infinity War, the cosmic stuff may well be its own MCU, like they may not intersect all that often and we may be getting stuff like a Nova Corps movie or, or an Adam Warlock movie. Like it, it sounds to me like they have plans for this to almost be its own entity. It came out today. He was in an interview talking the character he wants the most to get rights to is Annihilus. And so, you know, Fox has Annihilus as part of the fantastic four intellectual property right right but it sounds like from what he's doing is he wants to do annihilation which would just be amazing and so he's got all the characters now to do it like everyone is there um and so i'm hoping eventually he can get to that and they can maybe you know instead of having like an avengers i mean you could almost have an mcu where avengers is your big bring everyone together and then on the cosmic side you could have annihilation and war of kings and all of the big cosmic crossovers that were happening a couple of years ago that really had nothing to do with the rest of the mainline Marvel Universe. See, and that's what I would love to see out of this is almost another Star Wars type situation where, you know, we recognize some of the elements, but it's it's just shit in outer space. It's Krees and Skrulls and whatever else and and that's uh, you know, they're kind of playing the slow burn to get there. They're getting us used to seeing these movies where we're not seeing a whole lot of Earth. We're not seeing you know it's it's not like fucking uh green lantern 
where <laughs> the outer space adventure takes <laughs> and place. And hopefully nothing ever will be. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Let's all hope that. Um, all right. So let's, we got a lot more characters to cover. So we've got, does everybody feel good with where we, we fell out on Drax? We can agree to disagree. <laughs> sure. I feel like we're choosing sides during this podcast. <laughs> I, I feel like we are, and I'm worried that I'm on Fleck's side. You're on Beth's side. Uh-huh. <laughs> you have to Clearly, get angry. Clearly, are, are on the right side in this one, and you guys are delusional. Uh, let's let's move on because Sean, you mentioned uh, the scene with Mantis, so let's let's go ahead and talk about Mantis. Who I don't know anything about the character. Well, I don't know anything about any of these characters from the comic books. I've never read any of the cosmic stuff uh i re- after the last movie came out i read some of the rocket comics and the groot comics and stuff uh i tried bendis's guardians comic and thought it was as bad as any other bendis group book uh but i don't i don't know these characters backgrounds other than just sort of osmosis from being a comic book nerd so w- tell us about the comic book version of mantis Oh Lord, we could talk all night. She's What's one of those elevator really pitch complicated. For Mantis. So the elevator pitch for Mantis is she is a Vietnamese human um, who, for a time, is in a sect, basically a cult that worships the Kree. And Mantis is seen as the celestial Madonna. So it's prophesized that one day she will have a baby that will save the Kree and lead them to great things so clearly then, the movie directly lifted all of this yeah <laughs> yeah um, really got all of that <laughs> go get to sleep with a lullaby her, her performance was definitely nuanced enough to to portray all of that backstory <laughs> you know she was a prostitute for a while she was an avenger um she's is. done a lot of things yeah and then they kind of brought her back for when annihilation started and she looks very similar she's green in the comic but she's got the empathy powers um she also has uh she she's somewhat precognitive and then she's also a really big martial artist um so that's the basic gist which, of it which oddly enough so is the actress uh Pom Clementif which mm. I don't know she uh I can't remember what it was now uh she she was in something where she needed to know how to fight and and has pursued martial arts which again uh not really evidenced in the movie well, but, and I was really hoping that was going to happen. Like at the end when they were fighting, I was like, man, maybe Mayus is going to bust out all her crazy karate. I see. I, I'm happened. okay I, with them saving that for the next one. Yeah. Cause that will be a hell of a surprise when all of a sudden she's like just kicking ass. But I mean, overall, I liked Manus for, you know, her purpose there. I, I've seen some of the criticism people have. Of the performance where, you know, she seemed kind of like this stereotypical, like, subservient Asian character. And, you know, everybody's going to nitpick about everything these days, and I kind of see what they're talking about. But overall, I thought as far as, like, having that sort of character in the group was good. You have someone who's not an aggressive fighter who kind of stays back and does other things. And Well, and they used her very well, as Sean (laughs) mentioned uh, you know, using her as the, the sort of cipher for Drax's emotions. And then later on when, you know, we get the, the really nice bit where Gamora's lost her shit and she's getting ready to kill her. And Drax is like, no, she just told me everything. Calm down. 
Uh, yeah. just, we, we got a lot of really fun stuff out of her. I enjoyed her portrayal and she had my favorite line of the mo- of this movie, uh, which was crabby puppy is so cute. It makes me want to die. <laughs> that both times I've seen that has absolutely killed me. Uh, and, and that's saying something cause there are a lot of good lines in this one, but uh, how did you guys feel about Mantis? I thought she was great for... You're not bad. <laughs> Shut your mouth. <laughs> Nobody bad. was talking. Up, was <laughs> Wait, this is going to start with I agree, me. right? No. <laughs> I, I may be agreeing with you. I'm not sure. Um, I also, I unlike, unlike Schweck, for once, I don't know anything about the Guardians of the Galaxy comics. So siding with Phantom on that part of it, just knowing nothing like the only reason i know who quill's real father is supposed to be is because of his tie into the x-men comics otherwise i would know nothing about all of that stuff that they changed for the movie but i liked her and i liked how she played off the other characters and she is vulnerable that none of the rest of them are so i think she's a good addition to the team if she remains on the team, I don't even know what's happening in the next movie. But if she remains on the team, she is a good addition because she is open and and different from every other character that we've met so far. So I enjoyed her, but knowing nothing about her backstory, I didn't know what she was supposed to be in the first place. Well, and I think it was smart for them to latch her on to Drax because – we got to know her, you know, as well as we need to know a new person in a new movie. And it was almost kind of like, well, everybody else doesn't really have to deal with her. Like, we don't have to go through now Gamora meets her, now Star-Lord meets her, now everybody – like, we – she got to have as prominent a role as you could want for a, a new supporting character. But it didn't feel like a drag of like, oh, now what are Rocket and Mantis going to do? Yeah, it wasn't a, like a huge introduction. Right. She character. was she was anchored to Drax just, and, and that was fun. Sean, now it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> um as far as the character, we got you know, we just got a surface area on her. She mostly served um as a storytelling point. She helped move the story forward, helped to see, like I said, sides of Drax that we wouldn't normally ever get to see. Um and provided the first hints about um, ego and his real plans. Cause I, I didn't know anything about ego going into this movie. I'm not super well versed in uh, the Marvel comics outside of sort of Spider-Man and the X-Men. So um, Mantis was a brand new character as far as I was concerned. So, and so was ego. So they kind of, she serves as the foil, you know, and, and gave us the first glimpse into a world where things may not be, all that they seem. So uh, I liked her in that regard. I'd like to see more of her later. Um, but obviously with this movie taking the opportunity to go so in depth on our core characters, it would have been impossible to try to do that with a new character. So, you know, you set up Mantis to do what she needs to do and, and help you explore the other characters. And now she exists so we can do more with her later. Kind of, I felt sort of like, uh, what they did with her in this movie is a lot like what they did with Yondo in the first movie. Well, and we did get a sense of her because she had, uh, you know, that was her life, was living on ego, and she got that one line that was really powerful. Oh, well, she had a few, but the one line that really got me was, would would a dog invite fleas to live on it? 
And then, mm-hmm. you know, are you a flea? Like it, it was, that was how she thought of herself is she was just this flea living on ego that helps him sleep, which was, right. <laughs> let's, let's talk really quick about egos sleeping. Is she helping him sleep because he does actually feel horrible about all the things that he's done? Is that why he needs her help to sleep? No. <laughs> I think in his own in his own way he feels as bad as a guy who perceives himself as a god could feel. Right. That, that, see, so, and that's you know, I didn't pick up on it until the second time I watched it, but I really and and, and it's not very overt, but I really felt like uh and, and Beth you put it very well that he, he's not necessarily guilty, but he doesn't he doesn't like it. He's not uh, he's not killing for the sake of killing. He just doesn't see their lives as being worth anything other than part of his purpose. And he doesn't want right. to kill he, them. He's, a, he's immortal. He's planning on spreading all over the entire universe. He, he doesn't see one tiny little life as anything of importance any more than we would think of squashing a flea. But at the same time, that giant pile of fleas inside of him which that's like that is so deranged that the this mountain of corpses is inside this guy essentially uh but i i kind of took it that that was why he had her is he did have some remorse over those atrocities and and that that's why he needs her to sleep otherwise why does he need her I don't think he feels remorse over the atrocities. I think he feels more frustration that he hasn't found one that has worked yet. Because there's a, there's a lot of excitement when uh, Peter looks so promising. He's like, oh, finally, I can complete this. I think it's more he's tired. He's been at this mission for, you know, if millions he's tired, of why does years. he need help sleeping? I, <laughs> well, not I think tired in a sleepy ambient. way. Like, just he's been doing the same thing over and over and over and not getting anywhere with it. And so I think he he hits a level of frustration. I I, I don't know that he feels remorse because I don't think he know he actually thinks he's doing anything wrong. He's just frustrated with the outcome. And and you know th- th- this has been said a million times. But you're a, a great villain is someone who actually doesn't think they're doing anything wrong. They're doing something that we know is morally reprehensible. But to them, they're like, no, this is just the thing that I do, and and I'm doing it. And I think that's the case in ego. You know, he is a god. Uh, definitely sees himself as as an omnipotent god that can just he's ready to take over the world so you uh, think he just has no feelings whatsoever for for these life forms yeah i think they just don't even amount to anything you think he's He's not even damn here's another one that didn't work you think am i gonna find you think he's not even capable of feeling anything for these life forms right yeah it's so far beneath him sean did you see the movie do you remember the part where he fell in love with Quill's mom? <laughs> See, I don't believe that he did, though. I think that that's oh, he all. Absolutely like, he did. That's not e- no, that's not even debatable. Yeah, he loved her because yeah. then he had to kill her right, because he yeah. realized he, he had he gained was... feelings for this one, and he couldn't let her live because he wouldn't he wouldn't complete his mission because she was whatever the damn song is, Brandy. <laughs> and so as long as she was alive, he wouldn't go out to the sea. He wouldn't be able to do his plan. Right. Yeah, he he was absolutely in love with her. And that's what led me to think that Mantis is making him sleep because he does uh, – he is aware of the things that he's doing, 
but his plan has more importance. But it doesn't mean he doesn't think like, man, killing all these people is it's it's keeping me up at night. I, I absolutely think that's what it is. I just took it as he, you know, is this omnis omnificent being that you know is controlling a planet and controlling this and controlling that and so the only way he can rest and the only way he can take a break from that is to have manis knock him out i just love the fact that you made up the word omnificent i know i could <laughs> i was awesome. looking at something he's magnificent omnipotent. no he is he's absolutely omnipotent. yes yeah <laughs> that was the right word all right well, beth what about I, you? I don't know that i i don't know that i feel like he's upset that he's Killing all these people as he's killing his children. I, I think well, there's right, a difference right. between just killing people and killing his children for him. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. That's uh, th- that's absolutely what I what I was meaning by that. Um. Yeah, I, th- I think it keeps him up at night. I, th- I think that's why he needs her. Uh. So Mantis, good addition. We all enjoyed her, right? Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. let's yeah. move on to Gamora. Who some people felt was underserved in the first movie, which I don't totally get, but as we have discussed many times, I'm not entirely sensitive to these sorts of things. Uh, but I definitely think we, we got to see her almost taking more of a leadership role in this movie. When uh, the Gamora Nebula storyline was probably my favorite of the subplots, but did anyone else feel a little weird or off about how her and Star Lord's relationship hadn't progressed from where they were at at the end of the movie uh, yes. to where they were at in this yeah. one? It felt I, off. I like agree. They should have yeah. been somewhere else. Definitely. It, it felt like, and, and unfortunately, uh, sequels do this all the time, where they do sort of an unnatural reset. Uh, because for the sake of the story, they need a, an established relationship to regress in a way that doesn't seem right when you start watching the second movie. And I'll, I, I totally agree with you on that one. Well, I think the biggest example of it is the last Guardians of the Galaxy. One of the last scenes of Gamora is her dancing to the song. Yes, she's standing and she starts to dance. And then the start of this one, I mean, it was a whole story. I mean, a whole part of dialogue about how she's someone that doesn't dance and she's never going to do it and all yeah, that 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 was that was a little odd although i will say nobody saw her dance that's true <laughs> and well and you know what that that actually that technically does even work within the context of the two movies because later on when she and quill are dancing to sam cook she even says if you tell anybody about this i'll kill you so she is sort of hiding who she is a little bit still from the rest of the Guardians. So, I mean, yeah, it doesn't make the most sense, but it does, like, on the printed page, yes, it works. But I, I do still agree with you that it was odd that their relationship hadn't it took until the end of this movie to, to progress the way that it did. Uh, Sean, how do you feel about that? Um, yeah, it didn't bother me too much. Like, it didn't take me out of the movie, but it did... Uh, you know, we look at the other characters and how far they've all come. And like we had talked about with Drax, like light years away from where he was at the end of the first one. And so for them to sort of be in this weird stasis between the last movie and this one where they haven't changed, I felt like, um, it set up a great tears joke, 
<laughs> we got the, the obligatory Sam and Diane reference. Um, hopefully they move on past it. I'm ready for them to just sort of be like they're in a relationship and we don't have to have the will they, won't they. Yeah, at the, the beginning of the third that. movie, if they're still like weirdly estranged, it's going to be like, come on. What are you doing? Right. <laughs> exactly. And if it, if it is like the end of the third movie, then I want them to do that for every movie forever and then just make that the ongoing thing is that they're just <laughs> constantly estranged and they'll never get together. What about you, Beth? How did you feel about Gamora? And, and unfortunately, uh, we are only talking about Gamora in the context of her relationship with Quill. I promise we'll get past that in a minute. Uh, but how did you feel about Gamora in this movie? I... Uh... I agree with Schwick. That's again. three. <laughs> <laughs> we gonna die, y'all. Right? This is. I, this, I this think is a bad porting. <laughs> it's a bad sign, guys. I I feel like if if they had not given Gamora the storyline with Nebula, which obviously I'm not allowed to go into right now, apparently. No, no, you totally can because we're we're gonna cover oh, okay. them kind of as in again. that context. Okay. So if they had not given her the storyline with Nebula and, and fighting through their daddy issues, there would have been nothing for her to do in this movie because she had the exact same relationship with Quill she did in the last movie. So what else would they have done with her if they hadn't given Nebula the part that they did? So it's it's almost like did they put Nebula in this movie just to give Gamora something to do? Because that kind of sucks. I just feel like they could have done more with her as well as a few other characters, which I'm sure we'll be getting into in a minute. See, I felt to me, I felt like Gamora was kind of the linchpin of the group in this one. Yes. The story is mainly about star Lord, but to me, Gamora was more the center of the guardians. Uh, she was the one that was constantly kind of getting them back into shape, getting them back on track. She was the one who didn't trust ego, who was, yeah, she told, uh, Peter to give him a chance, but once they get to ego, I keep wanting to say the planet, but the planet is ego, but ego is the planet. Uh, but anyway, the once, living planet, the living planet. <laughs> uh, once they get to the planet, she, she is the one who is conscious that there's something afoot. I, to me, in a sense, she was the, obviously not the main character, but, but she was, the most on point, the most focused of the characters. And, and yes, she did have the relationship with Nebula and that was a very important part of, of the plot to me. Uh, and I agree with you guys that, that it might've been my favorite part of the plot. Uh, but yeah, I, I just felt like Gamora did have a strong role in this one. Sean. Yeah, I felt like she had a very strong role. Um, Sort of pivotal. She was the first one to sort of cast any doubt on Ego's intentions. Um, and I will get into Nebula, but her, her interaction with Nebula, we saw way more of that character than we did in the first movie. Um, and I, I, that was a, that was a storyline between those two that I felt like could have gotten really hokey really easily. And, um, I found I stayed invested in it. So, uh, yeah, she was a fantastic character in, in both movies. She's probably been one of the strongest. Uh, her and Peter, romantic nonsense aside, have been the two strongest representing characters, in, in my opinion, from the from both movies. And how did you feel about uh, Nebula? 
Um, well, she got to do a lot more, so that was awesome. Uh, in the first one, I was like, why was she even in it? Because she was, you know, I, I felt like they could have just introduced her at the end and she would have been just as effective. Um, I, uh, like I said, I felt like there were times where it could have just gotten really, really hokey with the whole, you know, I just wanted a sister. Like that line um, really could have fallen flat. When I saw it the second time, um, I was less cynical about it, and, and it worked a little bit better for me um, because it is just a little bit of that, like, smarmy thing. But then again, I'm a cynical bastard. Well, I, so I thought it was but, very earned by the time she said it, though. Right, yeah, that's the thing, is that at that point in the battle, it didn't come off as, um, you know, as like a Hallmark Family Channel after-school special kind of thing. It actually, it it, it worked, um, and I didn't roll my eyes at it, like I said. I When I first saw it, I was like, eh, okay, that was as good as they could have delivered it. On the second viewing, I was like, no, it actually works a little bit better than I probably gave it credit for. So, yeah, so the struggle between them was really good, uh, and... Nebula being just straight up batshit crazy is a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm hoping that we get to see more in the next movie as well because um, I'm expecting that when Thanos does come in to play in this story, we're going to see both um, Gamora and Nebula play a massive role, uh, and we might see even some of the other characters. I expect yeah. them to kind of take more well, of a backseat. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that uh, towards the end here, but I'll, I'll just say uh, Karen Gillan had – a tough thing to do here because she had to take this villain from the first movie and make her relatable without making her corny. And I feel like the fact that she delivered every line as though she were biting into a snake (laughs) helped a lot. I mean, she is just so everything she does is so absolutely vicious uh, so that, when she does say these things, like all I wanted was a sister, or it was because it, like the the, it's not really a reveal because we know the story already, but then hearing it from her point of view, that he made us fight and you had to win, and every time you won, I lost a piece of myself, and you never even thought about it, you just had to win. Like, oh shit, Gamora's the bad guy. This <laughs> yeah. is terrible. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it, that was a, that was a twist that I, I, I wasn't expecting. It was, um, it was a heck of a performance. It was really well done. Uh, what about you, Beth? I, I thought she was spot on because they made her sympathetic without making her a giant pussy. Yes. So they didn't, you know, flip her character and make her into a whiner. She was still a badass who wanted to kill the shit out of pretty much everybody, but she still had feelings and now there are emotions tied to her rage so you understand her a little bit more and you can actually care about the character a little bit more and she still just wants to kill the fuck out of thanos yeah which is just delightful which Um, may someday happen unless she's (laughs) no better at it unless she's no better at it than drax is (laughs) ryan how'd you feel about nebula and and if you want to drop a little knowledge on us about who she is in the comics because because again i i don't know (laughs) um I, I really like that storyline. I think it gave good insight too to who Gamora is and kind of how she reacts to things where she is kind of colder and, you know, she's more of the warrior and they kept her. I'm really glad she didn't in, join the Guardians at the end where she, you know, right. Gamora tried to hug her and then she did not hug back and she left. She did. Um, she did. 
Did she? I can't remember yeah, yeah. if she, she actually ended she up doing fi- it. She did finally bring her arms it up. It was kind of a half-ass and, hug. And then, well, she brought her arms. I mean, she meant it. She brought her arms up, held them for like a second, and then was like, ugh, and ran off. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was, uh, it was well done. Um, you're right. And the Infinity Gem and the Infinity Gauntlet, she does play a big part in the storyline. So it'll be interesting to see how they kind of throw her in because in the comic she gets deformed because you know thanos loves death and he deforms her as a gift to death and she's a big part of she steals the gauntlet for a while and has it um but yeah I, i really liked her performance and i think they did a good job still of how they translated her to the screen as far as how she looks and all that kind of stuff so Nebula, yeah. spot on, one of the best parts of the movie, probably. Mm-hmm. I think, considering we're all in agreement on her, that's pretty outstanding. Good job, Karen Gillan. Uh, let's talk about. Wait, does that make it? Does that make it four times I've agreed with Shrek now? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, more of an incidental agreement, so we won't count it. It's just okay, kind of, yeah, that's true. Good. That's yeah. true. That's almost yeah. an undisputable fact. That's less agreement than just I recognize that there's a sun in the sky. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Let's talk about Groot and Rocket. Uh, I know I personally I wasn't. I, it just didn't even occur to me. But prior to the movie coming out, people were like, "Oh, they're just going to make this new baby Groot, and he's going to be like new Ewoks, where he takes up the whole movie and blah blah blah." And I, I didn't feel that way at all. As a matter of fact, there was a little bit less of of him than I expected. Uh, he, you know, he has a few very well done, I thought, moments, but. I thought James Gunn used him very well. What, what did you guys think? Let's uh, let's start with Beth on this one. Okay, so I think Baby Groot is fucking adorable. I, I cannot deny that. And because he's all tiny and stuff, he really can't do that much. So I, I felt like maybe for his abilities in this movie, he was a little overused. It, it just got to be a little too much cute. And that may be one of one of my problems overall with the movie was it was just a little too jokey, and I think Baby Groot is a part of that too jokiness. Well, as we all know, Beth hates fun. <laughs> yeah, totally hate fun. <laughs> I, I enjoyed all of the jokes and all of the fun, but the Baby Groot was a little too little too saccharine for me. I, a little I, too big eyes. I will say this. Uh, the first time that I watched it, I got up and went to the bathroom while Rocket and Yondu were in prison. And I missed the baby Groot fetching things scene completely. When I came back, he was pulling the fin out of the drawer. The second time I saw that scene, and much as it pains me to do this... Beth, I have to agree with you because that scene was too much. Uh, I think it just went on a little too long. It it did. It was very, very funny. But, I mean, by the time he brought the desk, I was like, okay, that's enough. It wasn't all too much, but the scenes that he were in went on a little too long. Like the push this button scene was a little too long for what it needed to be. No, I was I, well. I mean, I won't say no. That's that's how you feel about it. I I didn't have a problem with that one, um, and I certainly didn't have a problem with him his little mini feud with that Ravager. I, I thought that was really good. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I also liked the weird 
thing he had with Drax. I like that they sort of continued the the scene from the end of the first movie where, you know, Drax, <laughs> for whatever reason, Drax doesn't want Groot to be dancing, and they sort of continued that. <laughs> like, that, like when Drax jumped on the ship and Groot just starts punching the shit out of him. <laughs> like, that that but, to but me was a better joke. Groot. That that to me was a better joke than uh than than him bringing the stuff to the cell. Uh, teenage Groot was Teen- wonderful. Teenage Groot at the end was hilarious. And I love that. I hope that he didn't Groot. do any. I hope that's the Groot we get in Infinity War. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, Sean, how do you feel about Groot in this one? Well, Groot, we, we'll stick with Groot. We'll do Rocket next. <laughs> um, I loved it. I thought it was really cute. Uh, um. Some of the stuff, yeah, probably went on a little bit too long, but um, I don't know. It's, I don't, I'm an uncle, I don't, uh, so I was kind of reminded of my youngest niece, who is very rambunctious and kind of always just getting into things that she shouldn't be getting into. And is a so, tree. And is a tree, right? I know that's weird. Um, I don't know how my brother managed to do that one. Uh, so yeah, so just as I was watching it, I was just like, yeah, I could totally see uh, Addison doing all of this. And screwing this up a million times. So, yeah, I get, I, it's a fair assessment that the, the jokes ran on too long. It didn't bother me that much. And to be honest, um, I would forgive anything Groot did just because the opening scene in that dance sequence oh, was yeah. killing me. I, I immediately was like, this, everything else in this movie could suck. That sequence alone, I am totally sold on this movie. Yeah, did that, did that joke work for everybody? I, I loved the fact that we're sitting there watching, which it almost felt like James Gunn sort of throwing baby Groot in our faces like you're gonna watch this little fucker dance instead of seeing the giant <laughs> crazy action scene that we've been teasing in all of the trailers mm-hmm. for so long instead watch this guy dance which i loved and i was fine and honestly i would have been okay if just once he was done dancing they were like all right well we beat that thing but instead we still get the full action scene because james gunn is still james gunn and wants to show you a slimy monster battle did did that work for you guys as as well? Yeah, I thought it was I liked, a great I, opening. I felt like I got to see enough of the slimy monster battle as yeah. well as the juxtaposition of look at this cute little thing dance. <laughs> two right, two ELO no less. <laughs> because I was wondering, you know, how how and granted the opening of the movie was actually young Kurt Russell, which uh for the listeners, if you don't know that was Kurt Russell. Uh, they put makeup on him and then use CGI to sort of polish it up a little bit. I, I was fine with it. Uh, it, you know, obviously we know, as, as Sean mentioned after, uh, the second time I saw it, we know what young Kurt Russell looks like. So it's a little weird seeing that the same way it was, uh, seeing young Leia. But, it worked for me. It didn't take me out of the movie at all. As a matter of fact, the first time I was just sitting there like, holy shit, that looks incredible. How'd you guys feel about young Kurt Russell? I think he looked great. It didn't pull me out like, say, Rogue One did or some of the other movies that have tried that recently. And it probably helped, too, that when they showed the 70s scene, they seemed to soften the lens a little bit to yeah, show yeah. like that kind of 70s look, yeah. which probably helped like the visual of it. Beth, did it work for you? I really liked it. I it took me a minute too because I was like, "Who is that? I know who that is." Right. Holy, <laughs> well, so that's This guy looks really familiar. I, I, I just can't put my finger on it. I knew he was going to be in it, and still, I did not realize that 
the CGI touch-ups have gone to such an extent that it's really, really hard to tell anymore. Yeah, like it's it's different even than throwing on a young Grand Moff Tarkin face. It's completely changed in a very short amount of time what they can do with that CGI and makeup. Yeah, it's I mean it's really outstanding, and then the fact that he goes because. You know, when he pops up on the screen, what a way to open the movie. And then you see uh, him in the car, and you're like, okay, I can accept this. You know, he's sitting in the car. He smiles, whatever. And then they have the full scene with him talking to uh, Peter's mother, and it, ju- it just looks fantastic. It was very, very well done. Very impressed with that. Uh, so we got Groot. Let's talk about – oh, and by the way, Groot's effects, uh, I, any of the effects in this movie – there, there wasn't anything that took me out of it. There wasn't anything where I went, ah, that's, that's CGI. I wasn't quite ready to do that. Like, it all worked for me. Uh, did, you, did you guys, was there anything that stuck out to you guys and you were like, maybe they shouldn't have done that? Uh, Martin X looked a little weird. His CGI threw me off a little bit, but, you know, that's a hard one to do. And, and for the listeners that may not know, Martin X is, uh, the, the crystal guy that was hanging out with Stallone's character and was played by Michael Rosenbaum. <laughs> TV's yeah. TV's Flash is all. Who, if you was, ever, if you ever get a chance to see him at a con, he's one of the best speakers. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's awesome. And we'll drink beers with you at the bar at night. That is double awesome. Who won't drink beers with you at the bar at night? Well, that's true. Yeah, for <laughs> Schweck to say that is not really indica- indicative of anything. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Anybody will drink beers with that guy. Uh, Sean and Beth, was there anything that stuck out to you guys as being like not quite up to snuff? Uh, my only thing was the the supposed role of Stan Lee as Uatu and, and all the watchers with him. I, see, I don't think the, he's – is he Uatu? Is that what he's supposed to he's, be? That's what I've read, that he's supposed to be Uatu. See, I thought he was just a dude. Yeah, that's what I thought too, and that's why he has the line, how am I going to get home? Right, right. Because he's well, not Yatu. That's what I've read, and what I've read could be wrong because it's the internet. Yeah, right, right. But yeah, I, don't, I have read people that are he is, dumb. <laughs> I've read that he is supposed to be, that's who he's supposed to be, but the, the watchers for me didn't work. They didn't, they didn't look quite right. Their heads were a little off looking to me. But that's a minor minor pick at a very small bit of yeah, a yeah. teaser of a movie. Everything else was fucking gorgeous. Rad Ranger? Uh, yeah, nothing really stuck out to me. Um, like it was, What was funny is that we got to see the scenes on Earth in Cartersville, and I was like, it is weird that this whole movie was shot in Atlanta, and you can't tell that it's even on Earth. Like, it was really <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Well, it was all... Is Cartersville really part of Earth, though? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, I mean, it was mostly on the sound stages at Pinewood. Like, I think they used every single one of them. So, yeah, it, you know, it's yeah. not like they were out walking around in Little Five or anything. No, no. And, uh, yeah, and, I, and I, again, with Guardians of the Galaxy, you don't expect that you're going to see that much familiar territory, even though it's shot in your... Uh, ostensibly in your neighborhood, but um, but yeah, it was. I was just amazed. I was like, God, at no point do I believe that uh, any of this was anywhere but in outer space with giant monsters. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely puts it over well. Uh, and then on the effects tip, let's talk about Rocket. Uh, Rocket is 
more the same in this one, I think, than anybody else was. I, I will say he looks even better. Uh, just, I mean, there are times when it looks like you're looking at a fucking raccoon on the screen. It's crazy. Uh, I loved the battle in the woods where he's just taking out the Ravagers because they set it up so well that it just seemed like they were going to get the drop on him. Uh, the only reason I knew that they wouldn't because they had that one scene in the trailers where he's hiding in the tree. And you're like, well, this must be that scene. But otherwise, like story-wise, they really did make it like, oh, they're just going to catch him and we're not going to get a big, big exciting scene here. Instead, we get to see that the Ravagers are really just the dumbest people in the galaxy, <laughs> which I thoroughly yes. enjoyed their, the characterization of those guys throughout the movie because we, we really got to know, man, they, they are just morons. Yeah. How'd you guys feel about Rocket? Let's, let's, uh, let, let's talk about Rocket more than we talk about the Ravagers. Uh, what, what did you think of where he was in this movie and how his, his relationship with Groot changed? Because in the first movie, Groot was essentially Rocket's bodyguard. Like that's how it came off. And in this one, uh, right from the start, when Groot sticks the fucking fly in his mouth and Rocket has to jetpack over and be like, no, don't eat that. Like the, they and they all are kind of taking care of Groot. Like the, that's some really sweet stuff we get where they kind of pass him around or when the, when the, uh, when Quill's ship is crashing, when the Milano's going down and they're all kind of taking care of Groot. Like I liked that stuff, but Rocket is, is essentially Groot's caretaker in this one, which, which is a bit of a switch. I, I couldn't place him as either a father figure or more like an older brother. And I think I'm coming down on more of an older brother. Yeah. But a significantly older brother. Um, which was a funny position to put him in. Um, because he's hit. And obviously his character art is he still sees himself as the outsider, even in that group. But, um, he's yet comfortable enough to take on the responsibility of being sort of the, uh, the older brother figure for a young Groot as he's growing up, um, where any number of those other people, you know, uh, Quill, Drax could have, well, Drax wouldn't have taken that, but Quill <laughs> could have, could have, you know, done that sort of, you know, filled that role. So it was interesting to see Rocket, you have to believe, kind of stepped up and did it. I don't know that he would have done it if Groot had just chosen him to do it, yeah. you know, because again, he was, his whole story arc was how he doesn't fit in with everyone. Well, else. I don't know. After, after the end of the last movie where we see Rocket reacting to Groot supposedly dying and then taking the little twig and putting it in the pot, like he, he was going to take care of this guy. Like there was yeah, no question he, he about that. Care of him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was just interesting to see the way that it happened. And, and honestly, a couple of the bits, almost more like a mother role. It, it was kind of funny. The, uh, it, it was, you know, telling him like, when oh gosh, I just lost uh, the thread of what I was going to say. So somebody else pick this thing up and save me. <laughs> well, you got to think too. There's probably a whole, you know, backstory we didn't see of Rocket carrying around a like plant pot, watering Groot, and having to carry him around and um, put him in the sun just for the right amount of time. Right. So he probably does. He feels like his caretaker. And like he said at the end of the last movie, you know, that's my favorite scene of any Marvel movie is that part where he says, you know, but you'll die. And so I think he feels responsible for Groot now because Groot saved him. Um, and it let him connect with somebody else, which is Rocket's big thing is that he doesn't connect with anybody. 
And then this one, you know, we had the relationship with Yondu, which is a crazy pairing that I didn't see coming, but really worked as these two people who put on this tough outside, you know, uh, front and really are damaged people. And, and have essentially very, very similar stories and to the point where it almost felt like Kismet, like, Gunn didn't, because we know that Gunn had plans for Peter's father. Uh, we know that Marvel worked out the deal with Fox so that they could use Ego. Uh, I can't remember what Fox got in exchange, uh, but whatever it was, they won't use it as well as, as James Gunn used Ego. Um, Hopefully it was some more Fantastic Four movies. Yeah! All on. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I, I feel like this was a portion of the story that maybe revealed itself to Gunn, like when he was writing the movie. I, I feel like he, he, you know, with what had been established in the first one, he sort of realized like, oh, this is something that, that connects and makes sense. Because I feel like he had the plan, you know, obviously, uh, watching the first movie, while it's never stated in any way, uh, the, the payoff at the end is that Yondu does care about Quill and he's not going to do anything to hurt Quill. Uh, and I love that they followed that plot thread up in this oh. one and, and that it paid off in the way it did because I never saw that coming, which, which brings us neatly into, uh, the Quill Yondu ego paternal triangle. Let me throw this okay. out there. I, I didn't have anything to say about Rocket. That's fine. <laughs> oh, you're well, right. Oh, I was so excited about a segue <laughs> that I skipped Beth. Damn it. All right, Beth, tell us oh, what you thought. I of... ruined I ruined your segue, <laughs> which will probably be for useless crap. Tell us. Uh, I agree with Ryan. Moving well, it, on. It won't be useless crap, but it'll, it'll be cynical. <laughs> tell us how you felt about the trash panda. <laughs> First of all, I love that joke. Uh, no matter how many times you have used it, I love that joke. I've used it a lot. <laughs> I think the only way the teenage Groot scene at the end could have been more effective is if it had been Rocket coming in to yell at him about his vines laying all over the floor rather than Quill. I think the I only think reason it wasn't brilliant. Rocket is because Rocket wouldn't give a shit. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I literally well, think that's because it's Quill's ship. He's trying, True. you know, he wants it. Look, this is my ship. You, you stay in my ship. You live by my rules. Whereas Rocket is just going to be like, I don't care where you put that shit. Well, I think it came full circle too <laughs> with now Star Lord is the father figure. Right. So we had him as the son of Ego. And then at the end, now he's fathering group basically or in that kind of role, which, which totally leads into why Yondu had to meet the end that he did. But we'll get to that. Yeah. In a minute. So I had to look it up real fast. They traded Ego for Negasonic Teenage Warhead. So that worked out both. Yeah, yeah, I thought wow. They it had did. her because they were using her in the Deadpool movies. Well, no, that's when they traded way back then. Oh, okay. Yeah, because James Gunn, gotcha. James Gunn had this plan when he was like when he was scripting the first movie. This was his plan. So they were they were already on that shit because that's how Kevin Feige rolls. Any more thoughts about Rocket? Yes. I I am not a cold, dead person after all, <laughs> so that you guys know. I actually cried at that scene at the end of the first movie when the whole But Groot You'll Die thing happened. Oh, yeah. I cried literal tears. It gets just me every prove, time. Just to prove I'm not dead inside. <laughs> fully. <laughs> <laughs> now, 
not yet anyway. There's, but there's I, a, little, a little seedling spark. Just, just a little bit. It's probably not going to grow as big as a baby group, it's, but it's, you never know. It's not all Bauhaus and Joy Division in there. <laughs> <laughs> just mostly. Um, I, I did enjoy the Groot, or not Groot, uh, the Rocket and Yondu relationship. I didn't see it coming. And when it started happening, I was like, uh, what? But then their relationship came together in a way that completely made sense in the context of the movie and where the movie went. And I really enjoyed it. Well, now you can segue into whatever you like. And, and we discussed their relationship coming together in a wonderful orgy of murder. <laughs> like, I love that that's how those guys bonded. Just walking how all over the... Right, exactly, and that's that's how they do it. Uh, and, and just real quick, I do want to mention I, I the the competitive relationship between Rocket and Quill, and how annoyed Gamora was by it, uh, and the fact that they they weren't Han Solo navigating through the meteor field because they didn't fucking do it, and the <laughs> fact that the Sovereign just went around. Like it was, they took this convention of the heroes are going to manage to do this impossible thing because they're so good at being heroes and they completely fucked it up. I, I loved that that just went sideways and that James Gunn does a lot of that little kind of stuff where he'll take your, your expectations because we know this genre stuff. We know how the hero story works and every once in a while he'll take something. Oh, it's time for them to make their big, big heroic escape because they're heroes who are good at stuff. And then you've got to remember, Oh, that's right. These are the guardians of the galaxy. Yeah. They're heroes that are okay at some. Right. Right. (laughs) And they still steal batteries. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh, I can't remember what Drax called. Whatever. Yeah. That, Plot point batteries. That was another Plot joke. That was another joke that did not get old to me. The the Quill and Drax talking about what the batteries were called. <laughs> That's not it at all. Well, it doesn't even well, sound like what I said. Drax's certainty that he's right and the Quill is an idiot. Yes. yes. See, there <laughs> is Drax humor I appreciate. Not him making yes. any sense. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's move on now to the Quill Yondu ego paternal triangle that we have going on. That going into the movie, we didn't even know we were going to have going on. Like I love that early on it was revealed. Yes, ego is Quill's father. Yes, Kurt Russell is playing ego, and they got that out of the way and still had this, I think, incredible story to tell. Uh, Quill in this movie. It's so strange because it is about him, but not in the way that the first movie was. It's He's the driving force of the plot, but at the same time, he almost feels... You know what it is? I don't think it's that he feels secondary. I think it's that his story and Gamora's story, well, and certainly Yondu's story, on an emotional level feel equally important to each other, even if in the narrative they aren't necessarily. I didn't, even though Kurt Russell is the villain of the movie, and that's obviously what everything is about, it didn't feel to me so, it didn't feel like Luke and Darth Vader, in that, well, that's what's going on. Like, it felt like everybody had their own stories, and that they each within the context of the of what was being done in the movie 
had as much as importance as they should have. Even Craglin, even Sean Gunn's character, this uh, Yondu's uh, lieutenant or whatever, uh, we got story out of him with the mutiny that he really didn't want. Like even that had enough weight to it to where it didn't feel like it was the ego and Peter show. You know what I mean? Like, do you guys see that and kind of agree or do you have different no, thoughts I, about that? I thought Craglin was great. I loved that they gave him a story. I loved that they gave him an end credit scene. I thought he was fantastic. But do you agree that, that like the other elements of the story had enough weight to where it didn't totally feel like it was just about Star-Lord and Ego? Yeah. Well, and using Yondu and giving that much weight to kind of his time with Rocket made the climax so much more powerful because you didn't get a whole lot of Yondu and Star-Lord together because he was off with Ego. Right. And so that way, you know, you got to see enough of Yondu that at the end, you kind of understood where he was at with Star-Lord and kind of that contrast of how he sees Star-Lord versus how Ego does. Well, and it made his fate all the more tragic because he and he and Peter had so little time together once Peter realized who his daddy was. And I thought, man, that was a strong line, too. He may be your father, but he ain't your daddy. <laughs> that was... <laughs> That was powerful yeah. too. The, James yeah, Gunn is really that. good with the the uh, the heartstring one-liners, and he got a Mary Poppins seal, which is probably my favorite line. <laughs> oh, my, that is absolutely my favorite line. <laughs> is I he cool? Forgot about that line. <laughs> I've been yelling that out for like days now. Ever I, since seeing. Well, I, of course uh, he has. Because I'm obnoxious. The the Mary Poppins seal is funny. But to me, the the laugh there was, "Is he cool?" And yeah. then Peter looking <laughs> right. up and saying, "Like, like you know, Yandu's his dad. He's his cool dad who's just found out." Because we've all had that that discussion where our dad doesn't quite get something, and you can't, you don't want to put your dad down so you just go with it and that's what quill was doing he was like yeah he's pretty cool like he didn't he didn't want to say no he's mary poppins is a woman who flies around on an umbrella in london and yeah she's cool but you're totally mistaken about what you think is going on like he just went with it and that that was another big father-son thing yeah and you hear how like proud yondu is like my son thinks i'm this cool character yes (laughs) yeah that that was Totally strong moment. And as far as uh, Kurt Russell's performance, I, I love him as a villain. Uh, we, you know, we saw. I'm, I'm sure there are movies before Death Proof where where he's played at least a little bit of a bad guy. But Death Proof to me stands out as the one where we really see him as just a a bad dude. Uh, and in this one, we get this. We get both Kurt Russells. We get this delightful, engaging man of the world or the galaxy, as it were. And we see the the slow reveal that he's a horrible monster, probably the worst villain. And, and granted, uh, Sean, as you pointed out earlier, the best villains believe that what they're doing is right. Uh, but from a perspective, from a galactic perspective, the worst villain we've seen yet in the MCU. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. He, I was thinking the same thing as 
um, when I finally realized that he was the villain, I was like, oh, shit, like, this is probably the first movie I've seen that doesn't have Marvel's villain problem, where they're just sort of bland and uninteresting. I was like, this this is a really, really solid villain. Yeah, when uh, I say worst villain, I want to make sure everybody understands. I'm not saying, like, quality-wise. I'm saying the most dastardly, evil, appalling, horrendous villain that they've portrayed yet. Yeah, yeah. The other villains are... In a lot of the other movies, and this has been beaten to death a million places, so I'm not going to go too far into it other than to say they've, they're just sort of two-dimensional and they're there to move the plot along. And the right. story is about the heroes. This movie, the story really revolved around this turn that Ego has where we're like, oh, shit, nice. You know, again, I didn't know anything about Ego, so I didn't know what his alignment was going into the movie. Right, so right. it totally caught me off guard when he turned out to be the villain. I was like, wow, this is – I was – the first time I've been impressed with a Marvel villain ever. And, and such a villain, too. I mean, cool. So, uh, Ryan, drop a little knowledge on us uh, as far as the comic books go. Is this anything like comic book ego? Uh, not really. I mean, ego, you know, you got to see what ego really looks like in the, I forgot, when one of the ships come in, you see what ego yes, really yes, looks you like actually with the face the, of the planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Ego kind of swings back and forth in the comic. He's, you know, Ego's big enough where he's kind of neutral, and sometimes he helps fight Galactus. Sometimes he tries to take over other planets. For a while, he was the homeworld of the Nova Corps. Um, but I can't. I don't remember anything where he's actually taken human form. Is is the character in the movie anything like? Another Marvel character? Like, is this a composite, or is this pretty much James Gunn had an idea of what he wanted Quill's father to be and and kind of slotted Ego into the role? Yeah, it seems like that's what it was, because he's not at all, I mean, you know, Quill's father in the comics is Jason, of the King of Sparks, and he's completely different. Yeah. Um, One of the things that caught me, which is a total, like, nerd thing that most people probably didn't catch is when they, you know, he kept referring to himself as a celestial. Yes. Uh, he's not a celestial. And what's weird is they've already brought up the celestials in the Guardians movies. And so I thought that was weird they did that. I mean, nowhere they specifically say is the head of a celestial. Right. When they go to the collector and show, when he explains what the Infinity Stones are, they straight up show one of the celestials. You know, they look kind of like big robots. They look like uh, giant Jack Kirby drawings. Right. And so <laughs> I was surprised they named him as a celestial. Did they show a celestial? Okay. I, my, my recall is not super. Did they show a celestial in Doctor Strange at all? Yes. I don't think so. Did they? Yes. And it's, it's a really like background. One of those things you've got to look right at the right moment. It's, it's when she's like explaining the nature of the universe or something, right? Like it just yeah. kind of flashes by. Yeah, you see one of that's, them. That's what I was thinking. So, I mean, they are established. Mm-hmm. And so in the context of the movie, though, Ego is a celestial. Yeah, or he says he is. Or he at least right. thinks he is. Right. It's well, entirely possible that, that, that he's well, not. Yeah. And that was actually part of the comic at one point where Ego, he didn't say he was a celestial, but he tried to be one of the elders of the universe, which is like Eternity and all these other big – you know, celestial things. There's the last of their race, and they kind of run the background. They're like elder gods, basically. Okay. And so Ego tries to be one, and they're like, no, you're not one. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> and so maybe they're kind of playing that where his 
his ego, huh? It's so right, big right. that he thinks he's a celestial. So it could be um, one of those things where, like, later on, if they need him to not be a celestial, he won't be. But if it works for the story, he will. Like, it it could go either way. Mm-hmm. Like, there could be some someday we may get a celestial saying, that guy was not a celestial. Right. <laughs> he always thought he was one right, of us, but right. we had to keep telling him no, and he can't sit at our lunch table. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, um, I liked how they did Ego. I thought the playing catch was hilarious. Yes. Um, and Kurt Russell did a great job of, like, really playing up the, like, stepdad that you never see and all of a sudden shows up and, like, hey, buddy, I'm going to give you all this awesome stuff. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be your new best friend. Well, and, and when – Weekend dad rules. <laughs> after when, – when he delivers the line about, you know, it killed me to put that tumor in her head and immediately Will is done with his bullshit. We don't get the long – stupid fight where Quill is still under his influence and he has to fight the Guardians or whatever. He just pulls his guns out and fucking blows the shit out of him. I loved that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it was so, it was another instance where Gunn has taken what, what years of genre movies have led us to expect and, and goes in a different direction. I, I, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, and I liked how they played it when Ego was telling him that, like, Star-Lord was going to be like, yeah, okay, I totally get that. Right. And that is not how it went down. Oh, you, you killed my mom for a reason? Okay. Right. And, well, <laughs> and that's what, you know, he had he had the crazy starry eyes and everything, and he thought he was kind of like going along with it. And we know, you know, how he's been longing, uh, you know, the, the, the father story has been going since the first movie. So it was conceivable within the context of what we've seen that Quill could have under his influence been like okay that's cool let's take over the universe now <laughs> and it did not go down that way and that was fantastic well uh, the second he turns into Hasselhoff you know he's evil <laughs> <laughs> you do not speak poorly of the Hasselhoff you, oh you, but you, I do you say whatever you need to about David Hasselhoff uh, he, this- his, his reputation is getting a little too precious for me this movie's going to play huge in Germany. They're gonna oh, play. it is. <laughs> Dude, has it even opened over there yet? It's going to double whatever it's at now. Uh, all right, so we got to bring this thing home. Uh, do, any final thoughts about Quill, Yondu, or Ego? I'll take that as a no. Let's real quick talk about the Sovereign who, you know, pr- going into the movie, I thought the Sovereign were the villains. I didn't know how they were going to be the villains, and it's very interesting that at the beginning of the movie, they're you know they're doing this job for the sovereign. Is it the sovereign or the? It's the sovereign is the planet and the people, and it, like that's just how they describe everything about themselves. They're like Smurfs. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> except they're gold, which I love the fact that they're just fucking painted gold. They're like old Doctor Who aliens. Like they're, <laughs> they're not. They don't have weird faces or anything. They're just gold. Gold people. Right. Right. That's uh, what I do. We're gold. But. You know, at the beginning, it almost seems a little corny because you've got Rocket stealing the batteries and you're like, is that how these people are going to be the bad guys? Like Rocket's going to steal some batteries and then Ego's going to have to save them? This story maybe is not going to hold up under scrutiny. And then everything, of course, uh, goes off and, and makes wonderful sense after that. But just the 
the way they were portrayed. I loved the fact that their battle fleet was controlled from like an arcade. I, I thought that was a genius touch and that they were treating what was essentially war against the guardians as just this like really intense game of Madden on like PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> I like the plan too. Whenever they're in front of anybody or there's other people around, they're very stiff and very formal. And then when no one else is around, they're like a bunch of children. Yes. It's like right. trying to one up each other and having temper tantrums. And, um, it was interesting having Aisha be their leader. I mean, she's a complicated as hell Marvel character. Um, but that's a good way to kind of give her and then, you know, when Adam Warlock comes eventually, give them a good base to start from yeah i i I loved the way that they portrayed them and and they were uh you know we can't call them the villains of the movie but they were definitely good antagonists to kind of fill in while other stuff was going on with ego and and wherever else with the ravagers and everything uh just really solid any anything else about the sovereign Aside from how hilarious it was when she laughed at stupid taser face. <laughs> do, do we need a taser face tangent? Because that was one of the funniest parts of the movie. Sure, go for it. Taser face I, so, away. So, <laughs> I mean, well, the character's name is it, – it is so – like they set this guy up kind of early on. It's like, okay, well, he's obviously going to challenge for leadership of this particular sect of the Ravagers. He's pissed off and he wants to align himself with – with the leader again, and and then he goes into the whole taser face thing, and then the interaction between he and Rocket is just drop-dead funny, because I feel like that's exactly how anybody else would have acted in that situation that wasn't a Ravager. Or like, I'd like to believe that's how I would have acted, is like, really? Your fucking name is Taserface? That's the, the scariest thing you can come up with? And he's like, it's metaphorical! <laughs> and what? That, and the reaction at that point, the, like the Ravagers are kind of cheering him on, then he says it's metaphorical, and they're like, eh, eh I'm not <laughs> totally with you anymore. <laughs> right, right, you just lost us. You just lost us. I feel like I have had that exact exchange with you guys uh, on many occasions. I think so, um, yes. Yeah, yes, that's kind of most uh, needless commentaries go that way. You are uh, in, in your own special way. You're our taser face. <laughs> <laughs> Ranger taser face. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so the I think I think we've covered the Ravagers fairly well. I, I liked that they got fleshed out, uh, but we do. And Ryan, you're going to have to swoop in and save us on this one. Uh, before we close this out, which I, I want to run down the after credit scenes uh, when we do, but as part of that, I guess, Ryan, explain to us who Sylvester Stallone is and uh, who the people are that are hanging out with him. So I hate it got ruined for me. So like two weeks oh, before the stupid That's movie what came got out. ruined? Yep, I oh. knew who Sylvester Stallone was, which I hate. Well, um, but it's, I mean, was it a huge deal though? Because when he walks up, it's not like it's a it's a necessarily a big reveal that that's who he is. Well, but I think it's just that the original Guardians that really they're not in the original Guardians. They're like the nineteen seventy five ish Guardians, uh, kind of a mix of them. Um, but that more of them are going to show up. Um, and I think it was a cool way to do it because, you know, Yondu is part of that group of guardians. And so in the movies, obviously he's a ravenger. And so to have the other, um, 
old guardians also be these like heads of the ravagers and that from what it seems they were the original ravagers so you've got sylvester stone with starhawk and they call him something else like star x or something yeah he has an actual name it's like star Mm -hmm. star x something or other Mm-hmm. And then you had, uh, Bing Rames was playing Charlie 27. Um, like we said earlier, Mike Rosen, I forgot how you say his last name. Rosenbaum. Rosenbaum. Yeah, he was Martin X. Um, and then in the after credit scene, we saw the other ones, uh, who they had. Miley Cyrus was the computer mainframe. Head thing. Yeah, Miley Cyrus's mainframe. Um, and then the and big then, snake thing. Yeah, I can't remember that one's name. Uh, but what's interesting about that one, if you noticed, so that guardian, when it, he can't speak, so he uses basically sor- – he's a sorcerer. He's the sorcerer supreme of his planet. Um, but when he made his you know, junk to do the ha- double hands up, if you looked at it, it was the same writing and the same style of Doctor Strange. So they did a nice carryover from oh, that. Oh, nice, nice. Um but yeah, oh, and his sister, Edna. So in the comics, to make Starhawk, the two of them kind of go together and form okay. Starhawk. I'd just like to say that I, I did read the background of Starhawk yesterday while I was at work, and I am completely uncomfortable with everything about that character. Yeah, it's a little weird. <laughs> so he's he and his sister got married and became one person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Marvel. That- that happened. You know, the 70s yes. were a weird time in the cosmic <laughs> Marvel universe. Um, all right, but so, I was really excited to see all of them, and I'm hoping we get – and it seems like we're going to see a lot more of them in Guardians Volume 3. I would hope so, if not a movie just for them, because like I was talking about earlier, it almost seems like the cosmic stuff could be compartmentalized into its own thing. Uh, and, and, yeah, I, would t- I mean, who wouldn't go see Sylvester Stallone in a Guardians of the Galaxy movie Mm -hmm. uh although whether they'd call it maybe galactic guardians instead i don't know but uh so let's real quick let's run down the post-credit scenes first we get craglin uh which is hilarious seeing him awkwardly wearing yondu well i guess it's not yondu's fin because it yondu's got burned up uh but practicing with the arrow which i thought Quill giving Yon, giving uh, Kraglin the arrow was, was a really nice scene. Uh, it was really sweet. Uh, and not being very good with it. And Sean Gunn is hilarious and awesome in pretty much everything. Somebody said he was on Gilmore Girls. Is that right? Was he? What? Uh, not that I would know. <laughs> ah, I was trying to bust No, I really don't. No. Ask Terry. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, My uh, husband is a 16-year-old girl, not me. We'll get him on for the Gilmore Girls episode. Uh, but that, that was solid. We got, and, and the, I've read a bunch of places that he flew it into Drax's neck, but I took it as it went into his shoulder. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what, yeah, like the, I, I didn't think it yeah. read as his neck. All right. His big beefy shoulder. Yeah, exactly. And then, well, uh, I mean, his shoulder almost runs into his neck. Well, so yeah, he you does have, used. he does have a schneck. So it's, it's close. Uh, He's a wrestler. They have big neck muscles. Stakar, Stakar Ogord. That's what they named uh, Starhawk in this one. Uh, we we already basically talked about that scene where they're just standing around and Stallone gets to deliver the great line. How about we go steal some shit? 
<laughs> oh, that was nice. Uh, because it is, you know, he's dressed uh, almost like a military type guy. So by that point in the movie, you almost forget that he's not actually some kind of law enforcement person. And you're like, oh, wait, that's right. The Ravagers are basically pirates. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you expect him to be the law. Uh, yeah, I do. I can't even lie. And then we get the scene, which, Ryan, do you want to explain the scene with Aisha? Yeah, so what was surprising is, and I think it was in Guardians when they're walking through the collector, um, there was a cocoon in one of the collector's things, um, and everyone had assumed that that was Adam Warlock. Uh, the character Adam Warlock is super complicated, um, but the gist of it is, is that he has the soul gem. That's kind of what powers him, and so people had assumed that's where he would come into play and that by Avengers we would have him, but – According to the after credits scene, Aisha is making him, um, which is kind of a flip because in the comics, she was made for Warlock as his mate. Um, and so it looks like she is making him for hers um, and as a weapon. Uh, I hate we're not going to have him for Infinity War. Um, he plays a big part in everything whenever the Infinity Gauntlet shows up. Warlock is usually quickly behind. Um, well, who's to say he won't be, though? Well, but I mean, by then, I guess he. But I'm looking at I'm looking at a thing on Infinity War now, and somebody's playing Magus, Magus, uh, however you yes. say it. But that's that's a future version of Adam Warlock, right? So maybe so they're, they're, they're going to have to figure that out somehow. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a lot to explain who Adam Warlock is, and then he <laughs> changes into the Magus. Uh. Um, but so I I just because I didn't see that coming and I never at any point connected the fact that the sovereign were all gold and Adam Warlock has traditionally been depicted as being gold like it didn't even click for me during the movie and then that scene when she says I'll call him Adam I was like oh that's that was like a little moment of of reveal for me like I thought that was pretty <laughs> that's cool. who that is yeah well I just thought it was neat I was like okay that that all lines up the way that MCU things typically do. And I don't know anything about Adam Warlock other than what he looks like. So that was just neat. I, I enjoyed that. Uh, let's see. Number well, I, four. I, I, had a, I had read original rumors back when the first movie came out that they were talking about somehow changing the story to make Adam Warlock Quill's father. That's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah, that, yes, that had been totally what I thought. Well. That had been thrown around, so, but, you know. The ego thing threw me off because I was expecting Adam Warlock, uh, which neither one fit with the comic, but, you know, Well, so cares? much of this, yeah, I don't, as long as the story's good, I don't really yeah. care too much, especially with stuff that now, when you start talking about X-Men, then I'll get a little prickly. <laughs> but all this Avengers well, and cosmic stuff, I don't, I don't have a dog in this hunt. Ex- until I, I, I'm assuming Spider-Man. the reason they use... Jason, Jason, or whatever, however you pronounce it, is uh, that he has too much to do with the Shi'ar, who have too much to do with the X-Men. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which see, I, I'm totally hoping I get to see some Shi'ar in the next X-Men movie, but that's, know, that's a different, I don't com- think that's, different conversation. I don't think that's <laughs> ever going to happen. It's Dark Phoenix next. Uh, uh, do you think Fox really cares about anything beyond slapping Dark Phoenix on a movie? Hey, they've said there's going to be space stuff. She's a um, cosmic entity. Uh, yeah, well, she was a cosmic entity in the third movie, too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Shut up about that. <laughs> I'm that very, movie is gone. I'm very bitter about uh, Fox's handling but of X Men. He doesn't exist. Uh, so let's move on. Number four, uh, Groot. We, we already talked about Groot as a teenager. I think as much as we need to. And then five, we well, kind of can I say something about that? That's going to be funny. I hope. So you know, at the end, Star Lord gets his Zune with new music on it. Yeah. You know, soundtrack for volume three. So what I'm hoping is it's filled with nineties angst grunge. And so teenage groups <laughs> like be angry and listening to like Nirvana and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> or maybe oh, he, could, he could listen to all the stuff that you make fun of me for listening to. Yeah. Oh he can listen gosh. to some Smiths and like just <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's all Bauhaus and Susie and the Banshees. <laughs> he gets a little like Groot black eyeliner on. And... Groot liner. Ugh, last thing I need. love emo Groot. <laughs> I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure if you go to Tumblr right now, you can find emo Groot. Just be careful. Mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. Uh, and then that's, our last... that's why I don't go to DeviantArt. Our last, <laughs> our last scene after seeing Jeff Goldblum as uh not the collector what is he the games master grandmaster uh, grandmaster grandmaster mm-hmm. dancing around which which was a nice little thing uh we <laughs> see stanley talking to three watchers and we don't really know if he's supposed to be uatu or what i personally i don't think he is i think he's just stan this old guy that's had a lot of jobs on this planet uh I will say now that they've shown the Watchers and that they're around, I know it seem really off, but I want to see them in other places. Like in Avengers Infinity War, I just want to see one like on a hill somewhere like standing the behind them. Yeah, yeah. yeah just kind of hidden. Mm-hmm. Or or if uh, Marvel wants to go back and just digitally add them in all that the That would be hilarious. Which Special editions. Yeah. Coming in 10 years. <laughs> Bound to happen. Uh, I, I think as far as like other like cameo kind of stuff, if they don't stop just showing me Cosmo and give me Cosmo know, running a guardian, I'm going to kill him. Like it's a Russian dog that has telepathy. Like how could you not want that in every movie you've done? Well, I, I want to see Cosmo. I'm glad we got to see Howard again, but I, I really want more of Howard the Duck. And, and ideally we'd get like an animated series based on Chip Zdarsky and Joe Quinones. <laughs> recent comic book but you know uh, there's there's so much of marvel we'd like to see on the screen but only so much time and money to go to it uh and, I, and i'm not paying for a howard the duck movie again we didn't really oh i totally <laughs> only will only if he gets it on with somebody well you know specifically leah thompson she's no. probably not doing anything she was she was in the comic <laughs> yep uh all right, well, we have run out of time to discuss the potential future of the Guardians of the Galaxy, but I think that's okay because I, I think, aside from a germ of an idea, I don't think even James Gunn really knows exactly what he wants to do. I, I do want to mention the fact that I thought it was really sweet that the reason uh, he initially wasn't sure if he was going to do the third one was because he didn't want to do it without Michael Rooker. Uh, that was his, He came out on Facebook or somewhere the other day and said that you know, yes, he was going to do three, but the reason that he couldn't really talk about before that that he wasn't sure is is because Michael Rooker's character Yondu dies, and he couldn't imagine he Michael Rooker has been in all of James Gunn's movies, mm-hmm. so the thought of making one without him was you know he 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 wasn't even sure if he could do it. 
but he's he's got an idea, he's got a story, and assuming uh, he has Michael Rooker's blessing, and and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, written and directed by James Gunn, is going to happen, potentially featuring Michael Rooker as a robot or something. <laughs> like, Michael Rooker as Mary Poppins. Like he'll yeah. he'll be in there he'll he'll be in there under heavy makeup for sure. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very interested to see these characters interact with the main Marvel now. And I wonder how much they will. I mean, I'd love to see Iron Man and Rocket have a scene together. I think it would be hilarious. I, um, I just want Rocket to steal like parts of his suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because then when he wakes up and he's missing his hand, he won't know where to find it. <laughs> <laughs> or like Drax talking to Hulk about how he's the big green one and how that's his job. <laughs> well, technically Drax is gray. Oh, he is kind of gray in the movie. See, stupid movies, he's supposed to be green. Yeah, he no, he is gray. because. <laughs> well, uh, they can only have... They they have to be diverse. They have yeah, to have people of every true. color. You've got to represent <laughs> all of the various peoples. Uh, all right, final thoughts about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. I know we we got uh, there were spots where we were a little bit down on it, but I think those were all little things. Overall, personally, uh, I love it. Uh, I would more than happily go see it a third time right now uh, if I could. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to watching it again. It'll be part of, it'll be one of those deals where I watch the first movie and then I have to watch the second movie as well. It was fantastic. Uh, it's a different kind of movie from the first one, but I absolutely think it lives up to the promise of what a sequel to that movie should have been. Uh, what about you, Sean? Uh, I have to say, and I did not expect this to be the case, but, uh, the Guardians, the two Guardians films are easily my favorite Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Um, they're, they're both just really entertaining, and these are characters that I knew nothing about going in, didn't really care about, and, uh, was kind of a little skeptical with most people when the first one came out, and then the second one just sort of kept them right at the, you know, solidly at the top of the list. Uh, and I'm actually even, more excited for Thor because I'm seeing little bits and elements from Guardians of the Galaxy, at least so far what we've seen in the trailer, creeping into Thor Ragnarok, and that makes me even more excited for Thor, which just goes to show how much I really enjoyed this particular movie because just anything that even smacks of it, I get I'm that much more excited about. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that one. Uh, Beth, what about you? Honestly, we didn't even touch on the really only disappointing thing for me in this one was that the tease of Nathan Fillion as Wonder Man oh my didn't actually happen. He's too old to be Wonder Man. I had a problem with Whatever. that as soon as it was mentioned. He's Wonder Grandpa. <laughs> did, you see the, <laughs> did you see the picture today of what it was? No, I haven't seen it. Uh, so, well, it was no, a movie and, poster of him as... As Stark. Stark, right, right. So when the blobby whatever stuff is on Earth, you were supposed to see a movie theater and it... The Marquis said Simon Williams Movie Festival. Right, right. And then the posters, I forgot what the other ones are, but one is a Steve Jobs type movie, but it's Tony Stark played by Nathan Fillion, which would have been funny. Which, you know, but there's a picture, there was a picture of him released of him flying around dressed up, but they did it as a joke on the set one day apparently, but I, I got too excited. Oh. <laughs> I got overly excited. Look, I would be fine with him doing something in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, and, well, you know, he's fine as if he wants to be Simon Williams, whatever. I, I don't care that much. But 
I feel like if they're going to introduce a character like Simon Williams, it's not going to be somebody Fillion's age. Because he's, I mean, honestly, he's, yeah, I love the guy, but he's a little long in the tooth to be playing a character that they're going to introduce. Because if they're going to introduce Wonder Man, he's going to have a major role in the ongoing MCU, unless they decide to just fucking kill him like they did with Quicksilver, which still pisses me off. Yeah, Um, Yeah, not me. Well, here's, I, I, it finally hit me the other day why it did piss me off. Because he's the only character in all of the MCU that I actually had an attachment to because he's a mutant. And I know him from X-Men and X-Factor and everything. But I like the X-Men movie version of Quicksilver so much better. Oh, I didn't. But that's that's uh, why... That's that's another podcast. But that's, that's, a whole that's other podcast. why that bothers <sighs> me, is he's the one character that I truly had a pre-existing connection with. Um, and they fucking so, killed him. So anyway, anyway, besides Simon Williams... I was initially, the first time I saw it, super pissed off because I have begun to equate the eventual attack of Thanos as seeing a new Game of Thrones books. It's never fucking going to happen. (laughs) And after watching it the second time, I said, you know what? That's okay. This movie wasn't about Thanos. And there's no Thanos in it. People reference him. They talk about him. But it's not about Thanos. So I just have to let that go. And trust that Infinity War will just bring all that Thanos together, kill Thanos, and then Josh Brolin can go off and live his happy life as Cable. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ryan. Um, For me, no, the first Guardians – really was it was like lightning in a bottle it's i almost think it was a perfect movie and so it was going to be hard for them to live up with that and i i liked it a lot i don't think it's as good as the first one but i don't know if that was possible for you know where they had come from um but i'm excited that it's going to continue this isn't one where i feel like oh god they're going to make another one you know are we going to drag it out like i felt like at the end iron man 2 or something like that or thor the dark world but I'm looking forward to the next one and ready to see it. So I liked it overall, except for stupid Drax. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that, that you know, you, I, I think being, and, and Beth, you're probably, uh, I'm fairly certain you know more about these characters than I do, but I think Ryan is, is the most knowledgeable of us. It's interesting to me that the issues you did have with the movie did not come from differences from the comics. Like, all of that stuff... The way the story was told, it was it was good enough that that stuff didn't matter. Yeah, no, and it really doesn't. And that's you know that's something big with like James has done is he's taken the Guardians and kind of made them his own. He's and what's I'm what's I wouldn't say unfortunate, but like you said with Bendis's when he took over the Guardians and the comic books, they've kind of moved the Guardians to be more like the movie version. Yeah, and it has not worked well. It they're just not the same and not as good. Um and I think that speaks highly of James Gunn, how well he's done with these characters, that no one else has been able to kind of capture that feeling with them. Well, and I think that's part of his magic is that essentially what happened is they said, hey, James Gunn, we like you. What can you do? You want this Guardians thing. Do whatever you want with it. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because that's how all the other stuff started. You know, right. When DNA you know, signed on for Marvel, they basically said, here, you can have the cosmic stuff. Do whatever you want, and they made 
this huge thing out of it. Right, which is what, with the uh, what for the listeners. What you're referencing there is Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning's work on Guardians of the Galaxy that inspired some of what's in these movies. Mm-hmm. Certainly, this team, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, this team is definitely from there. All right, that is all the time we have got. Uh, is there anything that we skipped over that you're like, oh crap, wait, we didn't talk about this? Do we cover it all? Sounds like we covered it all. All right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Beth, can we still find you online at Needless Beth on Twitter? Uh, you can when I can remember what Twitter does because there were pictures of me posted on Instagram last week and I didn't know about it until 10 days later. <laughs> so <laughs> I am bad at social media. Except Bezos books. Twitter is where uh, you go to shame celebrities uh, for not. I, I don't know any celebrities. Um, no, you don't have. Maybe to. I could go there and maybe I could just go and shame Schweck. I'm not on the Twitter. He's not on Twitter. <laughs> oh, see, easy, even easier. You could you could shame Red Ranger though because he is on Twitter as well as other places, aren't you? Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, everywhere is the Red Ranger. The only place um, you won't find Red Ranger is on Red Ranger's Radical Radcast every two weeks. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm working on like every two years. Um, that sounds like an uh, achievable goal. Hey, That's, uh, hey that uh, sounds uh, like our Buffy podcast. <laughs> All right, settle down, you. Haven't you haven't you expressed enough snark and vitriol for one episode? Is there enough snark and vitriol? Uh, you need that on a t-shirt. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, Ryan, as always, I implore you to just write another review of Star Wars figures because I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed the two or whatever that you did. Yeah, I, I got a couple in there one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, everybody, for talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And we will be back at some point, uh, since we didn't get to it today, to talk about the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because we've got till November before we get another movie. So I think we could do a nice oh. speculative episode. We got Star- uh, Spider-Man, though. Oh, you're right. Spider-Man June? in July. Yeah, yeah we'll July, have to do a... It, it's still odd to me that, that another one of my guys is actually in this thing. All right, we'll do a Spider-Man episode then. I hope you guys enjoyed our discussion of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. And more than that, I hope you enjoyed Rad Rad Rangers Most most Radical radical Moment moment Ever. Yeah, only here on the Needless Things Podcast. And probably on Rad Rangers Radical Radcast and at many rock and roll shows throughout the Atlanta area. You can catch that guy being as rad as only he can be. All right, that's enough. I love you, Sean. Uh, please go to supportphantom.com, see what you think of that. Go to needlessthingssite.com and click on that big old Amazon box. You know, I tell you all the time to go click on the big old Amazon box at needlessthingssite.com. Also click on the articles. Five days a week, you get original content from myself, Jerry Chandler, every single Thursday. Beth and Christina alternate Tuesdays. And uh, other special guests from time to time when I can talk people into writing stuff for my website for free. But it's a great site. I'm very proud of it. It's been around for seven, 
seven years now, something like that. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you appreciate everything that goes into the site and into this podcast and into me going to like conventions and stuff because that costs money too, which is why I have supportphantom.com and that big old Amazon box. Uh, speaking of conventions, like I said at the beginning of the show, Dragon Con is fast approaching. Plans are coming together. I will be detailing those on supportphantom.com. But of course, as things become more concrete, I will be telling you about them here on the Needless Things podcast. And we are just a couple of months away from our Dragon Con coverage here at Needless Things. Crazy times, people. Crazy times. I can't wait till Friday, though, because Alien Covenant. Yes. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vic's employee. And of course... It's at needlessthingssite.com. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.